turn to read the Word of God in the Old Testament, and we're going to turn to read two short passages. First of all, in the book of Psalms, and in Psalm 126. The book of Psalms, chapter 126. Psalm 126, at the beginning, a song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then her mouth was filled with laughter, and her tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And second, we turn to the prophecy of Isaiah and chapter 51, and at the beginning of that chapter. Isaiah 51 and at verse 1. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion, he comforts all her waste places. He makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. For a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look the earth beneath, for the heavens vanish like smoke, the earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea away? For the redeemed to pass over. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return, come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that are afraid of man who dies, of the Son of Man who is made like grass, and have forgotten the Lord your Maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth? And you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor. When he sets himself to destroy, and where is the wrath of the oppressor? He who is bowed down shall speedily be released. He shall not die and go down to the pit, neither shall his bread be lacking. I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea so that waves, its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand. Establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, You are my people. Amen. This is God's word, and we trust that He will bless to us uh, this reading or these readings from it. We're now to turn to Praise God from Psalm number 63 in the Scottish Psalter on page 295. Psalm number 63. Page 295, the beginning of the psalm. Lord, thee, my God, I'll early seek, my soul doth thirst for thee. My flesh longs in a dry, parched land, wherein 
no waters be. The same from verse 1 to the verse 6 to God's praise. Turn now to the book of Psalms and to chapters 1 to 6, and we can read at the beginning of the psalm, Psalm 1 to 6 at verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. And so on down to the end of the psalm. As we read this part of the book of Psalms, we have a real sense of being travellers on a journey. If we appreciate the way in which the psalms were written, that there are 15 psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, which were the Psalms of Ascent, as we have as the title of the psalm itself. They were psalms that were sung by those who travelled up to Jerusalem to go to the feasts. And so they came from every different direction in the land, and they made their journey up to Jerusalem. And as we read through all of these psalms, there are so many different aspects in the psalms. There are joys, there are sorrows, There are laments, there are expectations. There's a real mix of the sense of the hearts of the people of God as they journey on to Jerusalem. And as we read the psalm itself, it it does seem that as they ponder through these words and sing these words, that there is a real sense in the psalm of something having gone wrong. And that's so much part of their journey and so much part of our own journey. 
that sometimes things go wrong. And when you look at what has gone wrong in the psalm and the way in which there are questions over seed time and harvest time, it looks like they have broken God's covenant and because of that, they don't have the blessing of God on their land or on their seed, on their planting, and so they don't have a harvest. So they are on the way to Jerusalem and they are lamenting because they are remembering this moment in life that it's not the way that it ought to be. And they are journeying up to Jerusalem with the expectation that going to meet with God will bring about a great change. And as we read through the psalm and as we read through the whole of the Old Testament, there is the idea of returning in everything that we read about the people of God. There is a turning away and there is a return back to God. And so tonight we want to to look at the psalm, to think of it in its context, and to see what it has to say to ourselves on our own journey, not to Jerusalem, but to the Mount Zion, where Jesus sits at the right hand of God. And in doing so, we're going to look, first of all, as the way in which they look at their past. And, and it was said of, of R.C. Sproul, the, the great American theologian, that he never studied the past like a visit to a museum. The past was not historical curiosity. For him, the past served to catapult him into the future. He studied the reformation and the awakening of the past because he longed for that kind of reformation and awakening in the future. And so, with the blessing of God, we want to look at this psalm as a pathway of prayerful preparation and to do so, praying that God will catapult us forward on our way to Mount Zion to be with Christ, which is better by far. And so, first of all, we are going to think of the past. And when they are on their journey, they are looking back. And they are looking back at a certain place. And it's clear that they are looking back to Zion, to Mount Zion, which was the centre of the activity of God in the Old Testament, from the time that Solomon built the temple on the mountain, it became the centre of God's activity and the place where God was present with his people. And we read through the Psalms themselves and they remind us that God delights in Mount Zion, he dwells in Mount Zion because his delight is there. And they are remembering the location, the place. And we also see in the Old Testament that Mount Zion is not just a place, but that Mount Zion is like the mother of the children of God. And sometimes when things go wrong, Zion, the mother of the children of God, is like a widow because God has distanced himself from her and her children are scattered. She is mourning over her family. She is mourning over the loss of God. Mount Zion is very personal. And when we look at the psalm here, we see that there is a development. There is a change. And the change is that the beautiful Mount Zion has become a ruin. And it has become a ruin because the people of God have rebelled against their God. They have become covenant breakers. And what made Mount Zion beautiful for the people of God has now been replaced by an empty place, the absence of God. And as soon as God is absent from Mount Zion, the whole temple is broken by the enemies of God. Everything becomes a shell of what it once was. And where they saw the greatness of God in the past, now they see the greatness of the ruination 
of all that God had given to them as the covenant people of God. Zion has become a heap and a ruin, says Jeremiah chapter 26. And for ourselves tonight, as we reflect on where we are as those who have sinned against God, we have come from the beauty of the paradise of God, we have broken the covenant of God and written over all of our dwellings and all of our hearts tonight is the fact, the statement that here God once dwelt and he is no more here because our lives have been ruined by sin, rebelling against God and there is that great absence of God in our lives and we see nothing but brokenness. And when we come to the gospel, we have to do two things. We have to see who God is. And when we see who God is, we have to see who we are. And that's where the the memory of this people goes. That they look back to all that God did. They look back to the consequences of what they did themselves. And they're going to Mount Zion. And no wonder they're lamenting. And tonight if we, we are coming to the word of God and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Understanding where we have come from. Then how we ought to weep and to lament. And when we do so. We are taking a step on the journey with them. To a better experience and a better environment. We need to embrace that great change that our sin has brought about. It happens to us in our journey of faith. It happened to, to Adam as a great covenant breaker. It happened to the children of Israel as those who broke God's covenant. The past is not a museum. It's a past that speaks to us of our sin against God and the serious consequences of that. That just like Mount Zion was a ruin, that we are dead in trespasses and sins. But that's not the end of the story. And that's why the memory of the past can can catapult them into something better when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion the intervention of God they are thinking back to to the moment when when God turned them around and the restoring is that turning around and the fortunes speaks of the way in which God Turned their turning. Simply what it means. And it's the, the simple, profound way in which God comes to rescue people from their sins. He does so by turning their turning. And that turning of their turning is to restore them back to, to his own favor. It's to reinstate them in that relationship with them. To reconcile them to himself. And they are looking back to to the way in which they were taken from Babylon back to Jerusalem. And they started building the temple. I will bring them back. And they're looking at the ruin of of the temple in in, in Jerusalem at Mount Zion. And they're seeing a, a mountain of their difficulties. And God is saying to them in Zechariah. Not by might or or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundations of this house. The hands of Zerubbabel will also complete it. God will do the rebuilding. And we we leapfrog and take a steep step forward to see the way in which God actually does that. Yes, he does the wonder of bringing them from Babylon to Jerusalem. 
but the greatest intervention of all. In the words of Paul is that God was in Christ. And where was God in Christ? He was in Christ in the manger, of course. He was in Christ in his whole life. But God was in Christ on the cross, reconciling the world to himself. He turned that turning, and he did that on Calvary's cross when he turned his face away from his own son on the cross who was bearing our sin. When he was, when he who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When he was cursed and made a curse because of the curse due to us for our sin. And so when we hear the Son of God crying out on Calvary's cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned away from me? It is because I am restoring the fortunes of those covenant breakers who can never recover themselves and the only answer to, to their critical condition is for you as my son to be there uh, in, on Calvary's cross in this defining moment to bring about reconciliation. And so that the only answer to the ruination of the temple in Jerusalem the only answer to the ruination of God's dwelling place in your heart and mine is to see the broken body of Jesus on the cross. Dare I say with, with all reverence that the ruination, the crumbling of the body of Jesus on the cross is what was necessary for you and for me to know peace with God. And to understand that when God raised Jesus from the dead, there was that great returning, that great life after death, so that those who are far off are brought near. It is all because of the past intervention of God in the person of his Son on Calvary's cross, corresponding to the broken temple and the empty tomb, reminding us that there is hope. And tonight, as, as, we, as we journey on together, we need to allow our minds to, to reflect on, not on the museum, the history of what God has done, but on the living realities that show to us the kind of God that is working the kind of God that is loving his people and how he has accomplished that through the broken body of his son, through the empty grave and through the installation of Jesus Christ at his right hand. And that past was the means of transforming those who were present in it. Those who came to rebuild the temple. They are singing, they are celebrating that God has taken them from there and taken them here. And he has provided the, the riches of Babylon to enable them to, to begin to rebuild this temple. To bring back the utensils that belong to the temple. They are singing with joy. Yes, they are sad because this is not as great as the original temple. But they are singing with joy. Then, says the psalmist, our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with shouts of joy. At the end of verse 1, we were like those who dream. There is a saying that we are perhaps familiar with where people are said to be living the dream. They, they are, it's life at the pinnacle of everything that they could possibly hope for or want. But here is the real living the dream. And they were like those who 
dream. Some of us, we, we, we dream and wake up in the morning and we are so thankful that our dreams are not true. Some of us, we, we, we have dreams that, that we wake up in the morning and we, we cannot understand where such darkness and such sin can come from. Other times we can have dreams that are so positive. But dreams, in the context of the Old Testament, has more to do with the promises of God. Jacob dreamed the dream. Moses was given a revelation. Daniel had visions. They were given an insight into the purposes of God. And it is a sense of the promises of God that the psalmist is speaking of here. We were like those who dream in the sense that we're living the dream because now we are realizing the fullness of the promises of God for his people. And again, we, we springboard forward and we come to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And we come to Mary Magdalene, and she's looking for the body of uh, her Savior, but it's not there. If you have taken him away, tell me where you have laid him. Mary, Rabona. And you can begin to to imagine the way in which her heart was filled with a sense of, of joy at the realization that Jesus was alive. We go to others and they're lamenting on the way to Emmaus and Jesus comes alongside them. Why are you so sad? What has happened? Then he opens the scriptures to them, beginning with Moses, spoke to them of things concerning himself. And the penny dropped. The promises of God have been fulfilled. Here is the living Christ, the Jesus of Nazareth, who died on Calvary's cross. It's nearly too good to be true. They're living the dream because the Jesus that they thought was finished is now honored by God. He is on the way to God's right hand. And these folks on the way to Amaz, when the penny drops with them, did not our heart burn within us when he talked with us? The past. We think of the past especially tonight with regard to the death of the Lord Jesus, with regard to his resurrection, and with regard to the impact his resurrection had on those who were his disciples at the time. And occasion after occasion, he made himself known to them confirming to them what Paul was saying to the church in Corinth, that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. And tonight, wherever we are and whatever our burdens are, we need to revisit the history of of God's work of redemption. We need to go back to the way in which this transforming event took place through the history and the life of the Lord Jesus and through the experience of the disciples when he breathed upon them and they received the Holy Ghost. And for all of us together this evening, there is no other hope for us. There is no other rebuilding project, but one that begins because of what God has done in the passion of his Son, the past. And yes, We can go back to experiences along life's way where God did further rebuilding in our lives because it was necessary. But all of these events were were means that God used to, to bring us back to see in a greater way the fullness of the riches of the blessing that we have through faith in Christ by the power of a spirit in our hearts as those who have the spirit of adoption that cries, Abba, Father. The past. Let us think about the past. 
Because when we do so, it gives us the impetus, the motivation. It gives us what drives us to my second point, which is prayer. What do we want most tonight? Do we want to live the stream that the psalmist has here, this pinnacle of the experience of the children of God through faith in Jesus Christ? Then if we do so, we cannot but pray. And we read in verse 4 that there is that, that simple short prayer Restore our fortunes, O Lord. The Lord who is their covenant God, their covenant God who, who brought them from Mount Sinai to where they are, who brought them out of the exile of Babylon, the Lord who sent now his Son into the world to be their Saviour, restore our fortunes. In other words, do for us what you did for them when they met with the Lord Jesus after the resurrection. Restore. Turn us around. Turn our turning. And bring us to experience that joy of being reinstated in a proper relationship with God. Of enjoying the covenant favor of God. And of knowing that sense of being restored and that sense of peace and of well-being that comes alone from the grace that God has for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God will say to the people of God in the prophecy of Jeremiah and in, in, in chapter 31 when he was trying to to cause Rachel to stop crying. He was saying to the people of God, consider the highway. He was saying to them, set up road markers for yourselves. It's the prayerful activity of those who are serious about returning on this path that brings them back to, to peace with God and to the blessing of God. Return to these your cities, O Zion, Come back to the place that you are left behind. And the person who is praying for, for, for fortunes to be restored, for relationships to be corrected, this is the person who, who is hearing the, the guiding hand of God to set up the road markers, to follow the path that God has for us in his word. To take us step by step back to, to the place where we have the cross which is now empty, the tomb which is now empty, and the throne which is now filled with the presence and the glory of Christ. Set up Lord markers. Restore our fortunes. Is that your own prayer this evening? Is that your desire. When the psalmist is praying this prayer, we have a, an insight into his consciousness. Restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. The Negev was a place which was dry. It was a place where there was no running water. It was a parched land. It was a place which, which cried out for the rain of heaven. Not for a flood that would destroy it even further, but for this gentle, steady rain in its season that would cause this parched land to become a place which was blossoming with, with a sense of harvest. And the, the psalmist is, is looking at this place in its untransformed state, in its dryness and in its parchedness, and seeing himself like that, and praying for God as if it were to, to bring about that rain 
and to send the showers down that will change his heart to be a place which is bearing fruit for God. And tonight if we have the prayer that is inspired in our hearts because of what God has done in the past, we will know that our hearts are dry and parched. We will know that there is nothing that will satisfy us but what God has provided in Christ Jesus. We sang in Psalm 63 the way in which the flesh of the psalmist was fainting because he was in a dry and weary land. We read in Psalm 42 that the psalmist was panting and his soul for God as the deer pants for the water. There is that deep sense of need, that deep sense of longing, that deep sense of dependence upon the rain that God will give and that without it, our hearts will perish, we will perish in our sin. And tonight we may say that we are praying. That's a great thing. But are we praying with this sense in our hearts that we are a desert land dependent absolutely on the transformation of the reign of heaven? And that like the psalmist was praying in Psalm number 72 that for God's king the Messiah, that he will be like the rain that falls on the moon grass. And that when that happens, the just shall flourish in his days. They shall prosper in his reign. Just looking at what God does for his people. It's a prayer that senses a great need, a great longing. It's a prayer that has that longing because there is the real sense that God can answer that because he corresponds to that and responds to the prayers of the people. It is like the words that Jesus was saying to the woman of Samaria that the water I shall give you will be a spring of water welling up into eternal life. That's what God can do. This is where I am in this desert land. And because I see that's what God can do in the light of what he has done in the past through the pressure of the sun, because of that, then it's my deep, heartfelt prayer that he will restore my fortunes, that he will do for me what he did for Mary at the tomb what he did for Thomas, what he did for the disciples, what he did for the great gathering at Pentecost, that the God who can do that, who has done it in the past, that he will come with the refreshing water of heaven and meet me in my need and rescue me from my, from my dangerous plight and give to me a sense of being restored. Prayer that's inspired by the past. And thirdly, there is a promise. Sometimes we are so ready to quit when we're praying. So often we say, What is the point in praying? When we are burdened for something, when we are in a corner, when we are anguished because of something, we are praying and nothing seems to be happening. It's so easy to stop praying. And we see in the, in the psalm here that there is a promise to those who are praying in verse in 4. There's, there's a promise in verse 5. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. 
those who sow in tears. There are three things that we can notice here that describes those who are praying. They have a bag of seed. They are bearing the seed. They are going out to sow that seed. And they are going out to sow that seed with tears. Why are they crying? Because up until now, they have sowed their seed. And year after year, there has been no harvest. And they come to this time of sowing seed and they cannot but cry. Cry because the seed didn't produce anything last year and cry with the fear that it won't produce anything this year. And they cannot but go out and sow. And just like the parable of Jesus where the sower goes out to sow and and he plants the seed. He goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing. And John reminds us in 1 John chapter 3 that there is that sense of the people of God. They shall not sin because the seed of God abides in them. There is the seat of their prayers. There is the seat of the grace of God. And that seat of the grace of God is working through their experience in in their prayerful longing and giving to them sorrow for what has happened in the past and a real sense of turning away from that and a cry that something will be different in the future. And it is to that kind of person and to that kind of prayer that there is a promise for those who turn to God. And tonight we can come to God with our prayers. And we are motivated to come because of what he's done in the past through the passion of his son. And we come with a sack full of our sins. The sins that have caused a separation between ourselves and our God. And we come with tears because of the way in which our sins have caused that separation. We come with a sack full of sorrows that we are not the way that we were before, that we are not the way that we want to be, more importantly, that we are not the way that God would have us be. And we have tears also because there is a sack full of expectation that we pick up at the resurrection of our Lord and our Saviour. And that sack full of expectation gives me to persevere in my prayer because that sack full of expectation meets my sorrows, it meets my sin, it meets all of my anxieties is that tonight how you come to pray how many sacks do you have we can be overburdened with with sacks going through life things that will crush us but the sacks that we have here they will cause us to be bowed down but they won't crush us they will bring us to that place but God will supply our needs. The prayer, the sowing, the sowing with tears. And it is for that prayer that there is the promise. Shall reap with shouts of joy. Shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his shoes with them. And we know that Sowing is carried out with an expectation. Sowing has consequences. 
what you sow you shall reap and here we have that sense of harvesting that comes on the basis of the kind of prayers that we have that we come home with shouts of joy bringing our sheaves with us for then they are coming to their harvest and their fields are white their fields are filled with with produce that they can gather into their barns for us tonight if there is that sense of the return of Jesus from the dead in the history of God's work that gives us hope there is the return tonight of all of us as prodigal sons and daughters that we remember our father's house and that the God concerning whom we have turned our backs is the God who is working by his grace who has planted a seed on good ground in our hearts ground prepared by himself and so that tonight our, our prayers and his grace they're mingled together inspired by his grace and we are on our journey back to God and the father wanted to celebrate because this my son was lost and is found he, he, he is dead and he's alive again let's bring out the best robe for him let's give him a ring let's put shoes on his feet let's eat and celebrate that's the promise of coming with a sack full of the blessing of God because we realize that the sack full of our sin like the burden that John Bunyan carried that it is carried away at the cross of Jesus and the sack full of our sorrows is, is now filled with, with the joy that comes with the forgiveness of God and we journey along life's way and we carry the sheaves that sack full the riches of the inheritance of the people of God that God has provided for us in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. That's living the dream. That's walking with God, reaching that pinnacle of expectation and of desire and of longing in God's rich provision in the grace of God which we see in Christ, in Christ who being rich yet for our sakes was made poor that we through his poverty might be made rich may God bless our hearts together this evening and may he bring us to that place where our hearts are instead of being filled with sorrow and sin where our hearts are bursting with the joy that we read of here, the fruit of the Spirit of God, and that life of God in our souls that will give us the impetus, that will catapult us forward as the people of God, knowing that His grace is always sufficient and thankful that as He intervenes now, that He will do so also at times in the future to ensure that as we make our own journey to Mount Zion, that we will, he will bring us there safely and on time for his glory and for our good. May God bless his words. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we are thankful to you for the preciousness of your word, for the preciousness of your promises, for the peace that comes uh, with your own presence in the hearts and lives of your children. And so we pray that you will bless your word to us tonight, encouraging us from it and helping us to go on our way rejoicing, knowing that you are our God, that you are our Saviour, that you are our Father who is in heaven, who cares abundantly for us. Hear our prayer and have mercy upon us. We ask all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. We turn out to praise God in Psalm number 85. And we're singing and sing psalms on page 113.
Psalm 85. It has a similar theme to Psalm number 1 to 6. And we're seeing from verse 1 to the verse marked 7. On page 113. In times past, Lord, you showed favour to your own beloved land. The prosperity of Jacob you restored by your strong hand. From verse 1 to verse 7, to God's praise. Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, Lord, forevermore. Amen.